Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn Holderness. And you have found the Holderness Family Podcast. <laughs> Just trying something new. <laughs> Did that feel good? Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. I'm gonna go back to the old school kind <laughs> okay. of game show sounding podcast. Podcast. Yeah. We are so happy you're here. I hope you're having a good day. Um, real quick housekeeping. Um, the weather is getting slightly cooler. It got cool for a second, and then it went back to the surface. Swamp butt. So a lot of swamp butt yeah. over here. Um, and now it's like slightly cooler. It's getting there. Um, but we've got. You guys, a lightweight pickleball y'all sweatshirt available in our shop. It's like a tweener sweatshirt. Yeah, and it's so comfy. I wear it all the time. You can learn about that. You can also learn about our game family face-off or our line of Selkirk pickleball paddles. All of it is at theholdernessfamily.com. I am so excited about this episode. A little different. We're going to be talking about the in-between, that time at the end of life and the lessons learned from those at the end of their lives. And But stay with me here. Don't think this is going to be a downer. This is a really uplifting podcast about death. Yeah, so and really only one person can can pull that off, I think. It's Nurse Hadley Vlahos. You may have seen her on TikTok or Instagram. She is a uh, a, a very vivacious uh, 30-something hospice nurse who is she lives in Louisiana and she makes these videos and uh, several of them have spoken to me as well. Um they're very creative and they handle some pretty heavy-duty topics about what happens in hospice care, not only with the patients themselves, what her reaction is to it, and also what she's seeing from the caregivers. Now, you and I have some personal experience with this, particularly as caregivers recently, so she's come across our radar before. Yes, and I think that you can learn a lot about how to live well by those 
that are dying. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. She has a new book. So Hadley Vlahos is a registered nurse devoted to hospice care. Affectionately known as Nurse Hadley to her 2.1 million followers online, she shares heartfelt stories and insights from her experiences as a hospice nurse. Her book, The In-Between, Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments, is a New York Times bestseller, and she recently founded a nonprofit to offer a more family-centered hospice house that allows patients, caregivers, and families to stay together and celebrate life in their final days. Hadley lives outside of New Orleans with her husband and three children. Welcome, Hadley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us. What has happened over the last few years when you decided to put some of your thoughts out on social media and it has now blossomed into a best-selling book? Maybe just take us through that journey really quickly. Yeah, I started in hospice about seven years ago now, and I've been a nurse for going on nine years. And it was a very gradual process of really changing my life, as y'all read in the book. And I remember one day sitting in my driveway and just really realizing that I was a completely different person than I used to be and was really thinking about all the patients that led me to be that person that I am today. And I was like, I feel kind of selfish for keeping all of these stories just to myself. I feel like they're meant to reach more people, all the advice and the things that they have shared with me. And luckily, I was on TikTok at the right time, right place. And those stories uh, reached a lot of people. And that gave me the opportunity to then write it into a book, which has been so fulfilling. You talk about the in-between, which is also the name of your book, where patients are seeing deceased loved ones, but they appear very coherent. Can you tell us more about this phenomenon? I've personally witnessed this with my grandmother. It's very inspiring thing to witness. But can you talk about this phenomenon? I agree that it's inspiring. I feel like it's such a sacred space to be in, and I'm sure you felt that way too. Uh, But patients uh, in hospice at the end of their life will have these visions of seeing their deceased loved ones. And many people will think that they're hallucinations, and I did it first too. And then I really have seen so many that I can see the distinct difference between hallucinations where people are usually confused and they're scary and they bring fear and they can be anything at all. They're not just deceased loved ones. And now I see deceased loved ones where people are calm and excited and they are ready to see these people. And it does not matter what their background is, their upbringing, their religion. They all have these same experiences. What specifically changed your mind between thinking that it was an hallucination and that it might be something real? One of the first patients that really changed my mind uh, were actually two that I became very, very close to. So it's one thing to see it and say, I don't know what's going on. And it's another to have a patient for eight or nine months and really know them and their diagnosis and their medication list and know that there was nothing changed in those variables because I'm the one controlling them for many months. And then they see these deceased loved ones and they are so calm and happy and I trust them. So when they're telling me that this is what they're seeing, I believe them. And then a patient named Sue, she had her husband come to get her at the end who had been dead for many, many, many years. And before he came to get her, she had a lot of anxiety around death and Mm -hmm. dying. And then when he came, all of that was washed away. Mm. 
Now, does this only happen to people of faith or is it agnostics as well? It is any belief or non-belief system. It happens the same to every single person. They all have the same experiences. You yourself said you did not necessarily believe in an afterlife when you started being started working as a hospice nurse. Tell me how your views have changed. Yeah, I didn't. I had very black and white thinking before that it was either there is something concrete and we have all the answers or there's absolutely nothing at all and everything goes black whenever we die. And through being a hospice nurse, it no longer makes sense to me to say that there is nothing. That is not sensical anymore with everything that I've seen. And not only my experiences, but my coworkers. For every story I have, I have a coworker with stories as well. And there has to be something, in my opinion. All of these coincidences cannot just be coincidences. I, I'm sorry. You. Well, I just do think I've I've fortunately or unfortunately seen a number of people and in the last days of their life. And I do feel like we can learn so much about living by watching people, how, how people die. And in it, in a very inspiring way, your, your book tells the story of 12 of your patients and the lessons they've taught you. And I would love to go through some of those. Um, and some of those lessons that I think we could all learn. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth is the patient that told you to stop worrying about what people think and the eat the cake mantra. Could you tell a little bit of her story? Yes, that one was extremely personal, and I've always felt like Elizabeth saw right through me. I tend to not share my personal life with my patients. It's a very hard line to walk at times uh, since it's such a personal environment being in their homes, Uh, but I tend to focus just on my patients, and at the time, I was struggling with an eating disorder. I had had it for so many years and most people did not know or they didn't say anything. I believe I hit it very, very well. And one day I was just at her bedside and she was in her forties when she died uh, due to no fault of her own. And she just turned to me and said, can I please tell you something? Because I see myself in you. And I really wish that I would have just eaten the cake. (laughs) I wish I would have stopped obsessing over my weight. I wish that I would have spent more time with my friends. And ultimately, because, in my opinion, of her doing those things instead of fostering relationships, she was alone Mm. when she died. Mm. And how has that changed? You walk away from something like that, hearing something like that. What does that do to you? How has it changed your life? You know, at the time, I really just thought, you know, this this is really good advice. And then whenever I went to, say, binge or purge, I stopped Mm. and was like, I I would hear her words in her in her uh, voice over and over. And it was not just through that experience that I got help. I also got therapy, but it was the catalyst that Mm -hmm. that helped me get help. You've been doing this for seven years, even in seven years, I feel like the world is changing a bit. The The people who are staying alive are staying alive longer. Medicine is keeping their bodies alive and their brains not long enough. I'm not sure if that's something you've experienced as well. I am a son, a grandson, a nephew. I, I, my family has a lot of Alzheimer's and my father passed away a couple of years ago. My mother is is in advanced Alzheimer's right now. I've been around it a ton. I've also experienced some occasional moments of clarity 
And I've also heard stories of those from the, the people who I deal with in hospice, whether that's kind of the, the ways out palliative care or like we're getting toward the end. I'm wondering if you have any of those moments of clarity stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one whose name is Edith, they they say with Alzheimer's, those pathways in your brain are completely severed. So there's absolutely no way that anyone can make new memories or remember what's been lost, so to say. So I had met her whenever everything was considered to be lost. She couldn't, she would never know who I was, is, is what science says. And near the end, she said my name, clear mm -hmm. as day. And she, she did have that moment of clarity. And we see that all the time with dementia patients. And we call it the surge of energy, where they will have these moments of clarity. And for a lot of times, that's with family, and they will reminisce, or they'll ask about a certain family member that they haven't talked about in years. And those moments of clarity, they're so beautiful and mm -hmm. so amazing. And we do not have a scientific explanation for them. Yeah, mine was, I just said, holy shit, when I said it. it wasn't like, it wasn't beautiful. They just, my mom said my name about two years after she'd said it again. We were sitting in the elevator and she saw me in a, you know how elevators have like shiny doors? Yeah. So she closed the door and she goes, oh, it's Penn. I was like, holy shit. I said, holy shit. And then yeah. the door opened and it was over. She laughed when I said that, but- <laughs> I still haven't heard that explained away in science. You are a nurse and you're bound by science. And, and here you are writing a book explaining to us that it's not all about science. Yeah. More on this after these words. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. So Sandra, one of your patients, she talked about luck and money and circumstances. You know, she had luck and money, but didn't really change the circumstances at the end. Can you tell a little bit about her story? Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, in our society, we assume that anyone who has money just has it easy and they, ha they have it made. And what I really learned from them was that what really matters at the end is the people surrounding you. And there is no way to buy your way out of death. We're all going to die. And at the end of the day for Sandra, we she was in our hospital bed that we all issue to all patients. And I would go see her in her multi-million dollar mansion 
in that hospital bed. And then in that same day, I would go see a patient who lives in not so nice home in that exact same hospital bed. And at the end, we really are all craving the same things, which is care, comfort, and connection. And thankfully with Sandra, her husband was <laughs> so wonderful and cared for her. We are all craving that in life. And I would imagine, especially in death, uh, hospice is an amazing organization. We, like I'm, like we were saying, there's different, we've experienced it at different levels. Can you, for those that don't understand or know about hospice it's not to be feared necessarily can you walk us through the different stages where someone might uh, encounter hospice yes so usually whenever you get a terminal diagnosis you will at some point the doctor will let them choose if they want to continue that treatment and once someone has decided that they want to come on hospice we come in as the hospice nurses, the doctor, the aides, the chaplain, the social worker. There's a whole team of us. And we come to wherever the patient is. So a lot of times that is a patient's home. Sometimes their home is a nursing home. So that's where we will go. And we are on call 24-7. And our goal is to make sure that the last few months, days, hours, weeks of their life is as comfortable and happy as possible. We uh, and our families have some differences. So his mother, um, she's under hospice care, right? Yes. But they, yeah, but it's just it's a weekly check in. And, and it's a hospice care. It's a weekly check in. They look at metrics and the you know then they reevaluate after ninety days. That's right. Essentially, what happens. And then my aunt passed away from cancer, but my grandmother she actually went into a hospice center, which was lovely for about a week before she passed. It, it, it's just, there's there's a difference. Yeah, right? there, it, there's, there's very different. But I will yeah. I will say on in my family, when it was brought up, and I, maybe even yours too, when it was like, oh well, it's time to call for hospice. Everybody, the first instinct is like, no, 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 no. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But if I tell everybody who listen, you should bring. It doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow, but you should get right. hospice involved as soon as possible. Can you explain? I mean, I think there is this stigma around hospice. There is. There really is. And I hate it because it, it's seen as like this bad word. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that we, we do. We provide an incredible level of support. And bringing us in isn't going to change the timeline. Mm -hmm. And you know, especially people who are over the age of 65, it's 100% covered by Medicare. And they worked their whole life for that benefit. And they should get to use it. it it's an incredible service to, to get to use. Um, but a lot of people feel like, oh, you're giving up on someone whenever you choose hospice. But in reality, I see it as patients getting to take their life back. Mm -hmm. And they get to say, I'm not going to go to this doctor's appointment and then have these labs drawn and then do this and do that and just be herded around. You get to decide what the last few moments you have on earth are going to look like and you're in the driver's seat which is can be so incredible and beautiful um i know a typical nurse training and and any medical training is to extend right to extend life and um no matter the cost of what that looks like right it's not quality of life it's just like let's get that number higher what did it take to retrain your brain to move to sort of a comfort care as opposed to let's fix this that was really difficult for me. 
uh, I would call the doctor and I'd be like, what are we going to do? We have to treat this. And he'd be like, no, not if they don't want to. You don't have to treat it. And during your nursing schooling, you're taught that you're doing something very wrong if you are not doing something to mm -hmm. always be treating, constantly be treating. And what I had to really relearn is that doing something such as bringing them food, uh, having a conversation with them, doing these things that are not necessarily nursing tasks is doing something. Mm -hmm. And I am still valuable as a nurse, even if I am not uh pushing medications or starting IVs or doing all of that kind of stuff. And for a lot of people, it is incredibly valuable for me to just sit down and hear a story that they want to tell. Mm -hmm. Was there any guilt at the beginning? Like when you had to retrain your brain? I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because as a, a son of someone who gave me very specific death wishes, having to adhere to them was, it, it gave me guilt, gave me even a little bit of shame until I got to the point where I realized that they were suffering, they were miserable. They should have the ability to make this decision. For me, it wasn't, but just because I had seen a lot of death when I worked in the hospital mm -hmm. prior, and I saw a lot of death not on people's terms. And what I think a lot of people think about my job is that I see a ton of death, like it's just death all the time, when in reality, I think I actually saw more in the hospital than mm -hmm. I do in hospice, and it was nine times out of ten very, very, very traumatic and so now I'm seeing it less, but it is almost always peaceful and happy. That was interesting because I think you just, you, I think you just pointed out the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is I think you're dealing with the patient. The patient is at peace. You are the closest conduit to them in many cases. Like the, the family isn't always there. It's the family, right? Because I'm, I'm coming to you as a family member, not someone who's dying. And they're the ones who might need help. I know that's not necessarily part of your job description, but I've seen your videos and you've done a great job pointing out and defending the perspectives of, of family who are going through this. Yes, family is incredibly difficult. And I do try to care for them as well because... If the family's happy, the patient's happy is usually how it is. And that is contributing to the whole well-being of the patient. But there are so many different um, emotions that come up at the end of life, even if, like you said, the patient is happy and comfortable. Uh, there's usually a lot of guilt. And what I found to be so interesting that I did not really know is there's a lot of moments where you are just saying to yourself, I should be doing something, but what do I do? I know that my loved one only has a few days, weeks, months left, but what am I supposed to be doing during this time? What, I know you, you've sat bedside uh, um, watching and, and a lot of people and you've been great comfort, no doubt, to a lot of people. Overall, you know, you hear people say like, oh, nobody says on their deathbed, I wish they spent more time at work. But is there an overall theme of what you're hearing from from people as they're as they're passing into the in-between? They a lot of times they I'd say the overarching theme would be that they wish that they would have cared more about their own thoughts, feelings, desires than other people's. Mm. And I also hear that all the time, like, oh, you wish you wouldn't have worked more. But what's so interesting is some people do wish that they did. <laughs> some people wish that they had career goals they would have reached that they did not mm. go after. And it is very individual to the person. But many times they will 
not do something because of what other people say. And that is what they regret. One that stands out to me so much is someone who was a lawyer his entire life. So he had to go to law school, of course. And one year into his career as a lawyer, he went to his family and said, I hate being a lawyer. Mm. I do not want to be a lawyer at all. I want to quit. And everyone told him, you just finished law school. You can't quit. You'll get used to it. You'll love it. And he told me he never loved it. And Mm. at one year in, he had the opportunity to change and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but he wasted 50 years is what I said he believed. And that is so large compared to the one year or the seven years of school that he could have just turned his life around. And and I will say for folks that are listening to this or haven't seen Hadley's videos, she talks with a smile. She's smiling as she's talking. And so for someone whose job is to comfort and care for people who have a terminal diagnosis, they're not getting out of this, right? Um, You do seem to have a lot of joy. Do you feel? Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, I get those comments sometimes too. People are saying, this is disturbing. Why are you (laughs) smiling and talking about death? But the way I see it is that I don't think of death as the end. Mm. I think of it as all of these people that I care for going someplace that I too will go to one day and I will see them again. And I find so much joy in the work that I do and the connections that I get to make and the way that I get to change my life based on the advice that they give me. So I am very joyful about it. But for people who have complicated relationships with death and grief, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. So I, and I just want to I want to get this clear because I think it's very interesting. <clears throat> you were you came into this experience as an atheist, as someone who did not believe in the afterlife. You saw the effect that your patients were having that you believe was not a hallucination, which I think a lot of people agree with you that there was a real connection with the afterlife. And like say that husband who came to to br- to bring that woman to the other side, it was that communication that made you believe, oh, there is something over there. And that's given you a new sense of what happens when it's all over. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really special. When I sat with my grandmother on in her final days, to me, I had a feeling like other mm-hmm. people were there. Like the, um, the hair on my arm stood up and the electricity. And it's so funny, you have a story about the a chandelier popping. Like the TV, yeah. the TV went off and we were watching the Hallmark Channel because Mima loved the Hallmark Channel and the TV went off and I was like, huh, I was like, granddad, are you here? <laughs> and, you know, and then I just my grandmother sort of at the end, she wasn't really talking, but she sort of smiled and she and she always laughed to my grandfather and she started giggling. So I'm like, oh. He's here. Like it's it's definitely there was a sh- there was a there was this huge energy shift, and to the point where I was like, I feel like I need to call someone. Something's happening, but it was really it was really powerful for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, and people who I take care of a lot of skeptics, but something I always find so interesting, even if people feel like they can't feel that energy, is that at the end of life, people will have up to a minute between breaths. So if we're Talking from a purely scientific standpoint, you actually wouldn't know someone died until that next breath never came, which would be one minute after they actually died at the soonest. But I have never had an instance where a family member does not know the moment 
that someone takes their last breath. Oh We're boy. laughing. Yeah, I'm okay, sorry. I've got to tell a funny story well, now. Well, that funny story about um, dying. But but then here's the thing. This is going to lead to something I want to talk to you about. So stay with us, Hadley. This is a weird story. Very strange story. Um, so my my dad, I I knew. I was with him. I knew when he had passed. And I there look, there were breaths and um, there was a big breath. And then there was and then there was a then there was nothing and I just knew. I knew he was done. The nurse came in and checked her heartbeat. She's like her his heart's beating, but it's still pretty faint. No, it, it I was like, well, no, well, this we, is, no, no, we, she said it's, it's still faint. So we're like, we, not, we'd not, I mean, yeah, they it, were like, okay, he's still alive. Here's what okay. happened. She was listening to her own heartbeat, like, but, <laughs> but we found that out like an hour later. The funny part of the story is people ask me like when my dad died and I know the exact moment because right as I realized it and then she said, okay, she said, no, his heart's still beating. So I looked down, I took a second to look down at my phone and we were like, we didn't know when we were going to be able to eat. So we'd been there all day. So we got DoorDash and I got an email from DoorDash and the email was at 737. That was the time that my dad died. Yeah. And it said, dear Mr. Holderness, we are out of the following items. Dasani bottled water. <laughs> At the vendor's request, we have replaced it with a 32 ounce of Mountain Dew and charged you an additional $2.30. So we're like, why not just cancel the water? Like, why did they think I would want Mountain Dew and then to pay an extra $2.30 for, I, I'm sorry, Mountain Dew's disgusting. So that that is the story of that I tell most frequently of the moment that my dad died. Time of death announced by Mountain Dew, brought to you by Mountain Here's Dew. Here's why I'm telling the story, Hadley. <laughs> People look at me like I'm crazy, but I know that you know about anticipatory grieving and you've done videos on it. And the one that you did really touched me and you've normalized a lot of people for it. Can you help explain to them why I may have been laughing about a Mountain Dew when my dad died? <laughs> there are a lot of moments of humor in hospice yeah. and, I, yeah. and I love hearing stories of them because it shows how it can be very funny and joyful. But Anticipatory grief is something I did not learn about until I started in hospice, and I really believe in educating people on it, because especially with Alzheimer's and dementia, you grieve the loss of a loved one twice, and they say that you grieve them the first time, the last time that they recognize you, mm -hmm. and that person that you knew and loved, they're dead, even though their body is still here. So for so many people, that grieving process starts years before someone actually dies. So then whenever the death does come, th they've already gone through that whole process. This is just their loved one's body, the person that they knew that they've been gone. And so a lot of times they won't grieve like you would expect someone to. But whenever we know people for a long time, I'll sometimes tell people like, Oh, we did grieve. We we grieved six months ago, though. Yeah. And that, that's why you can't really judge people because grief looks different on everybody, I would imagine. I mean, with dementia, I, I don't know how to describe it except exactly the way that she did. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is paying respect to them. Like, you know, when my dad, when he wrote his death wish out, he said, I consider my life to be over when I can't recognize my loved ones or I can't enjoy the taste of a raw oyster. That was like, he wrote that down mm -hmm. and he sent it to me. He, he, he told me a thousand times because his dad died of Alzheimer's. So that was, that was his way of making sure that we didn't have to deal with that. So anyway.
Well, thank you for the work you do bringing care and comfort to those in this mm-hmm. phase of life. And your book was such a fun read about dying. And it's called The In-Between yeah, In Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. Before we leave, Hold on. and she's done a lot with the book. Can you tell us a little bit about Hadley's house? She's, I know she's very excited. Oh, she has a nonprofit yes. now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yes. Yes. It's w- absolutely. I'm so excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still in the very beginning stages of fundraising, but a very big uh, need I see is something called respite care, which is where your insurance will pay for you to go into a facility home for up to five days. And a lot of times the service is very, very, very underutilized because caregivers cannot come with the patient in most instances. And a lot of times they're not willing to not be by their side whenever their loved one dies. So they end up just saying, nope, we won't use that service. And they are like zombies at the end of life because mm-hmm. they haven't slept. They're not eating. You're talking about the caregivers. Care the caregivers. The caregivers are. The, her- the caregivers. The caregivers. Are the yes. Yeah. Sorry. The yep. caregivers are just so exhausted and mm-hmm. they're not able to really be present in the moment. So my goal with my nonprofit hospice house is to make it family centered, which includes the patient and their caregiver. Mm-hmm. And I also want to have an opportunity for patients to host a dinner during their stay to invite anyone they want to for a living funeral of sorts. I love that idea. I think that is, I think, and we have another, I have another family member who we're navigating end of life care right now. And it is, even with hospice and all this, it is, it's so hard on the caregivers and it's not yes. family centered, but I especially love if, if there could have been an opportunity for my grandmother to have like a living a, funeral, a living funeral. Why don't we just yeah. do that in general? Why oh. don't we just say you turn 70 and we're going to have your funeral? Love that. <laughs> love I'm, you I think mean, I'm well, joking? That, I'm not joking. Why, but that's why people have birthday parties. That's to celebrate your life. Yeah, but uh, you probably hold some punches back unless you just call it a funeral. Then you can talk about how you really feel. Like I really... Maybe this is just my own hubris. I would love to get a videotape of my funeral and hear all the nice things that people are saying about me. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't everybody love that? Um, I will. This is a great idea. A great idea, Hadley. But I will say, um, I saw this, I think, on TikTok. These women who are my age, you know, in their late 40s, they all, they hired a photographer and they went out and they took their funeral photos because they had gone to too many funerals where they were using really outdated, (laughs) terrible pictures. And and they wanted to be able to pick and they're like, this is the funeral. And they were gonna we're gonna do this, you know, every few years. So we have updated funeral photos, and we're gonna we're gonna pick the ones. That's something I'm adding to my. I, I'm gonna pick. I'm you gonna, know what? I'm gonna do my funeral when I'm 70. I've been sitting. I can't even pay attention to what you guys are talking about. Like then okay. everyone's gonna get the. They're not, it's not gonna okay. inconvenience anybody. They're just gonna like you know they don't have to. I love it. Drop everything, and then when I die, just cremate me. Okay. And we're good. Like, okay. but like, let's do the yeah. funeral while I'm still alive. I can hear all the good stuff. Yeah. And then when they die, when I die, it's like, Hey guys, okay. it did happen. I'll send thanks, them an email. thanks for all the nice things you said. Here's where my ashes are. Yeah. I'll go send them an email. I, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I'm <laughs> okay. on board with it. We're going to let Hadley talk now. Where yeah, can sorry. people, wh- besides your wonderful book, where can people find you and learn more about what you're doing? I'm on social media as Nurse Hadley on every platform and nursehadley.com has all of my projects. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing what you do. And we're really grateful for you. Thank you. Thank y'all for having me.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.